to today's audio podcast from the Church at Bushland. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of the Church at Bushland and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at thechurchatbushland.com or download our app by searching for The Church at Bushland in your app store. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at thechurchatbushland.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so in our app or by visiting thechurchatbushland.com slash give. Well, hey, listen, thanks for joining me for another episode uh, for Digging for the Truth. Before I get into anything tonight, I want to first ask you to do me a huge favor and go out and subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast um, on YouTube. If you're listening on Spotify, be sure to subscribe. Share with your friends. Uh, the uh, The last podcast we did uh, basically, you know, hardly got pushed out to anybody. We definitely did not hit the algorithm. In fact, the only algorithm we hit is how to suppress us. Um, and so I, we need to grow this thing through uh, grassroots. And so we'd appreciate your subscription and telling others about the podcast. Well, tonight we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to actually start with something uh, that I think that is interesting. Each week, you know, there's so much going on in the news. And with so much going on in the news, I thought it would be good for us to laugh a little bit at the Antichrist Kingdom's failures. This is kind of funny. So I thought we'd kick it off tonight with a new segment I call Antichrist Kingdom Corner. Welcome to Antichrist Kingdom Corner. Well, tonight I wanted to actually share a couple of news articles with you as we get into the Antichrist Kingdom Corner. Have y'all gotten the electric car bug yet and decided that, you know, as we get rid of cheap, efficient energy and replace it with inefficient, expensive energy to go out and buy an expensive electric vehicle? Well, hey, listen, if you haven't jumped on board, you are not the only one. Luxury electric vehicle manufacturer Lucid Motors has posted a massive loss while reportedly losing over $225,000 per sold car. This quarter alone, they have lost $630.9 million. Woohoo! I like that. Let's move on to another electric vehicle manufacturer who you might know of, and that would be Ford. Ford is doing far better than Lucid, though. They are only losing $60,000 for every electric vehicle sold. This sounds like an incredible marketing plan, something that should be taught at the top universities, woke though they may be. Hey, well, listen, speaking of Ford, Ford CEO gets a reality check when taking his electric Ford F-150 on a road trip and can't find any place to charge it. Yeah. So let's go on to Rome. And what's happening in the Vatican? Well, you're going to like this one. The Vatican says transsexuals and homoaffective persons can be baptized and serve as godparents. Uh, The Vatican's doctrinal office, because of course they need to rewrite the doctrine. But anyway, declared this week that transsexuals and homoaffective persons, whatever that word is, let's just call it for what it is, demonic can be baptized and serve as godparents provided certain conditions are met. I will let you go and find the article and read it for yourself, but I will tell you, we will end on this note. Have you heard of the bishop that was fired from uh, Tyler, Texas? Well, this particular bishop, he 
was a very conservative, Bible-believing bishop, and he had conflict with the Pope, who (laughs) doesn't so much agree with the Bible. And Babylon B, I think, gets this right on the nose with their headline saying, Pope Francis fires bishop for being too Catholic. And that is it for this week's Antichrist Kingdom Corner. Well, I hope you enjoyed that new little segment. I thought if we're going to read a bunch of bad news, we might as well do it to some fun music. Well, with that, I guess let's begin our teaching. Uh, One thing I'd like to talk to you about is we're going to spend most of our time tonight in uh, 1 Kings. In fact, we're going to spend all of our time tonight in 1 Kings. Because there is something that I actually taught. It's been on my heart for a while, but it's something that's going on in the world. And if you look at the Old Testament uh, and, and, and you look at the Bible and what was going on during the times of Jesus, history repeats itself over and over and over again. And I'm going to show you exactly how that plays into where we are now. And what we are going to have to do as believers is we're going to have to make sure that we understand who we are in Christ, that we listen to God's voice, that we, we step out in faith, and then we obey what he tells us. And there's a very clear uh, message uh, in First Kings, uh, First Kings 13 we're going to get to tonight that talks about this very thing. But before we get there, I want to talk about a nation that was created that falls apart. So the very first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at Solomon's kingdom. In First Kings 9, 4 through 5, it says, Now, if you walk before me as your father David in integrity and heart and the uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. Let's stop for just a minute. It says, I will establish your kingdom forever. Right here, Solomon has the opportunity to lock it in. He can lock in the kingdom of his ancestry, the, king, the lineage of David, right, that leads to Jesus. But, I mean, he can lock this in. And if we go on to read, it says, As I promised your father, uh, your David, your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So I want to talk about Solomon. He did a lot of really foolish things. But then it goes on. If you want to continue to read and you go to 1 Kings 9 and you can crack it open, you'll see, Well, this is what I will, God tells him, this is what I will do to you if you turn from me. And essentially, he, will, he says that I'm going to make, you know, the, the name of you know, Israel, a proverb, almost like a myth. Like it, 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 and that's exactly what happened when 70 AD finally comes and the Romans scatter to all corners of the earth. Of course, obviously, the Assyrians and the Babylonians with Judah and Israel, you know, they, they get taken into exile first, but then they come back, they build a temple again, but then again, they fall away again and again and again. David was righteous. Solomon was for a while. And then he began to set himself up for failure. So I wanted to share... Some images, okay? If, if, before I go any further, you know, if you, if you go to Deuteronomy, I'm not going to read the whole thing right now, but in Deuteronomy 17, uh, beginning in verse 16, it talks about some things that God set up in regards to, ironically, horses. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in Deuteronomy. I had somebody talking about placentas and things like that the other day. You know that's in Deuteronomy? It says, hey, don't eat that. Yeah, I know. Topic for another day. But just Deuteronomy gives so much instruction. God knew what was coming. And he talks about... Don't multiply for yourself too many horses. Don't multiply for yourself wives. Don't multiply for yourself too much gold and silver. Well, what did Solomon actually do? So if you go to 1 Kings 4.26, it tells us that he had a huge number of horses. In fact, it says he had over 40,000 stalls. 
Didn't you say 40,000 horses? It said 40,000 stalls. What we are looking at, that image right there, is a, an aerial view of Megiddo. Now, this is a name that a number of battles, you might be familiar with, a number of battles been thought, fought throughout history at this location. And when I say Megiddo, you might have your end times tingly sense going because this is where the final battle will be, will be fought. And what we're looking at is excavations that are taking place. There's a, uh, you can go out and look. I'm going to actually show a video here and just kind of let you all watch this while we talk. This is Megiddo, and you can see the aerial view. There have been excavations going on here since the 1930s, but they have found so many incredible things. You can go out and, and just uh, do a look up the, uh, the Megiddo expedition, and you can see all these you know, artifacts. Well, he had, in fact, this area specifically is one of the areas, Gezer and a few others that are mentioned in the Bible that may have housed some of his chariots. It says that he had 40,000 stalls of horses, that it says that he had uh, 12,000 um, horsemen. You know, it talked about all these chariots and cities that you know, were built to house all these things. Can you imagine? Um, just how much space it would take for all of these things. I really ho highly recommend going and, and looking this up. That's very interesting. Um, but he also had, if you go on to uh, 1 Kings 11, beginning of verse 3, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So here's, here's something that's kind of interesting. So if we, if we talk about what God told him not to do, all right, we're going we're gonna to get to some scripture on that here in a minute. Um, but one of the things he says, don't multiply for yourself wives. Well, he had over, over 700, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. It, it's just, it's incomprehensible. Um, when you look at this, this is, we're going to get to this in a moment, but this is the, the temple that Solomon built. Okay. I'm going to show you some grounds that go with it here in a second. Um, but Solomon, you know, he was, he, he, he got a, a, appeared to him twice. All right. The first time, if you'll recall, was whenever he was made king. Okay, and, and he didn't have a clue. And he, he, whenever God presented himself to him, he says, you know, whatever I, you ask for, I will give you. And, and Solomon said, well, I don't know anything. I don't know how to be a king. And so he said, I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. And God said, because of that, I'm going to bless you in every other area as well. I'm going to make you wise. Okay, but I'm also going to bless you. You know, and he, you know, arguably is the wealthiest person ever to live. In fact, if you go and read just the, the opulence uh, of the, the, the temple, but also his palace, which I'm going to show you a little bit of that here in a second. It's, un, it's unreal. Um, but he also says in that same Deuteronomy text that not to, to, to greatly multiply silver and gold for themselves. So here's the interesting thing is that if, when we look at this temple complex, okay, so the temple, whenever he came to build it, um, it took seven years to build it. But what's interesting, which you can't really see it all here, this is a bit, this is a, a part of the a complex, but you can see the house that he built for Pharaoh's daughter. You can see his palace, uh, kind of where it would have probably been located. Remember the pillars, uh, the porch of pillars and the house of uh, the forest of Lebanon? So again, this is a rendering, but he had this enormous complex. He spent seven years building the the temple, but he spent 13 years building his uh, royal residence. And he continued to build after that, build and build and build. Can you imagine all the things it took to, to, to house? It goes on to talk about just his day, daily allowance of the animals, you know, that he would eat for his family from, you know, 20, cat, uh, you know, uh, 20 fatted calves and, and, you know, 20, you know, I can't remember how many sheep. It's like, it's unreal. I can't remember all the numbers right now, but it's, it's unreal when you go look at it. 
But there's some other things, some parallels that, that, that you know, there are some foretellings, right, um, that are, are, are being told in this story, in this narrative that are going to, you know, echo, you know, in Revelation, some things coming. For example, in 1 Kings 10, 14, I don't know if you're aware of this, but he was given so much gold and, 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 and uh, people would bring ships full of, of gold and of, uh, of trees and woods and spices. The Queen of Sheba brought a tremendous number of you know, spices and things that, that they'd never even experienced before. But here's what's interesting. In 1 Kings 10, beginning in verse 14, it says that his annual tribute was 666 talents. Uh, does that sound familiar to you? Okay. So there, there are a lot of parallels. And here's why it's important to kind of talk about some of this. Because when we get to who Solomon was, and here's what he began to do. In 1 Kings 11, beginning in verse 1. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, uh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the uh, Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites. And I'm going to talk about who each of these are here in just a minute. From the nations of whom the Lord said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had, here's the 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. So, you know, a couple of interesting things. So if we actually just look at, let's go back and I'll, I'll bring a scripture up so you can see some of these names. So let's talk about the Moabites and the Ammonites. All right, let's go back to, let's see if you can have some Bible history here. And you remember who Moab and Ammon were. Um, so Sodom and Gomorrah, we know that Lot and his family were saved by angels before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So if I ask you what happened to, you know, um, his wife, okay, you could probably tell me right off the bat, she was turned, she looked back and she was turned into a pillar of salt. All right. Who else went with him? Okay. Well, we, he had two daughters that went with him and they ended up living in a cave and this is thing. It, 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 this story blows my mind. Okay, and so if you haven't heard the story, go read it. It's absolutely you're going to find it, you know, uh, <laughs> in in very graphic detail. So the the two daughters they want to you know have children. So they get their father Lot drunk, and the, one for the first night, and the oldest daughter I guess sleeps with her father so that she can be impregnated, and then they do it again for the other daughter. And and Oh, gosh, man, I, you know, you say it or you want to, but I, I don't think it's possible to be that drunk. If you're, if you're that drunk that you're so blacked out, I don't think anything else is going to function. I, I don't know. I just, that's just my two cents. That's the opinion of me. But anyway, I digress. And so they were named Moab and Ammon. So those were the Moabites and Ammonites. They came from ancestral relationship with Lot and his daughters. All right. Um, let's go on to the next group. When you look at the... Edomites, those are the descendants of Esau. So if you go back and you, you know, look at Esau and Jacob, we know that Esau turned his heart from God. Okay, let's go on. The Sidonians and the Hittites. The Sidonians, they were the father, they were fathered by Sidon, and he was actually uh, the father of Heth. Okay, but here's what's the interesting thing, that this is the hometown of Jezebel, who will play a role a little bit later in 1 Kings. And then you have the, the Hittites. Again, this group, they, you know, lean towards pagan and pluralistic worship. So there's a reason God said don't intermarry with all of these people because they're going to bear extremely bad fruit. Well, how bad? All right, well, 1 Kings 
11, 5 through 8. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of Sidonians. Okay, so let's stop just for a minute. Ashtoreth has another name, uh, Ishtar. Okay, so the Mesopotamians and the, you know, uh, the, the Babylonians, they would probably know this false demon, demonic god, is uh, Ishtar. And if you go, and Jonathan Kahn uh, in Return of the Gods does a great job of just breaking all this down. But this was the goddess, she, she, she was a, the quote-unquote the goddess of uh, war and sexuality. So sometimes this goddess would appear as a man, and sometimes this goddess would appear as a woman. At the temples, okay, of these Ashtoreth temples, the, the, the priests were men dressed up like women. Does that sound familiar? So the priests were men dressed up like women, and those who worshipped Ashtoreth, which, you know, there's all these other names, you know, um, I think Venus and some of these, all the, all these Greek mythologies and everything else. I mean, they, they all have, it's the same demonic God. Okay. Dionysus, I think is another one, but with the, at the temple, part of the worship was to be a quote unquote prostitute. So to, for a woman to, 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 to worship, you know, this demonic God would go to the temple and prostitute herself. I mean, that's, that's who these people are. I'm, I'm, tonight is not really a, a podcast for, for little kids. I probably should have said that earlier on. I'm just being really honest about who this is because you need to understand how far and how bad Solomon fall, fell. Okay, well, let's keep going. So this talks about, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Okay, so you see we're talking about, you know, and when we look at uh, Milcom, that's also another name for Baal. Okay. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place. Okay, here it is, for another abomination of Moab, okay? And so when we look at that, that uh, Chemosh is also another connection, another name for Ashtoreth. So we see this thing, but here's, I want to, let's keep going just a little bit further. And on the hill east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise. For all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to the gods. I want to notice that last little piece. Not just burning incense. What does it say? Sacrificed to the gods. Who's Moloch? Moloch is the god of child sacrifice. I mean, this is where we're getting to at this point. That Solomon is literally, you know, sacrificing. I mean, he says that he did it right there in the scripture. That he was, if he wasn't given a hand in the baby, he was at least watching it happen. Because that's what, who Moloch was. He was the God you would sacrifice your children to. And Solomon was standing right there. I kind of like this next one, a little cartoon here, but... It says, uh, from, there's four women, if you're, if you're listening on a podcast and, and not watching, there's four women, it's a cartoon, there's an, uh, an altar of uh, Moloch, and then on the, there's four women, it says, this is far more humane, and they're pregnant, by the way, they're, it's far more humane than those barbarians with their clamps and vacuums, <laughs> and if you look at the bottom of the altar, it's uh, got Planned Parenthood's name on it. You know, I mean, here's the thing is that these same gods are being worshipped again today. And that's an example of, of, I mean, Planned Parenthood. In fact, think about what you hear now. It's not just, you know, that some, uh, somebody goes and has an abortion. And I want to go ahead and stop and say this. If you have had an abortion, um, Hope Choice here in town, they have tremendous resources to help you walk through that. I have family who had them. That is never God's design. And I watch what it did. Um, and when I hear about what the, 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 the horrors that they had to walk through. And for God to restore, and, and, and just it's because the, the, the enemy talks you into it, and then the enemy shows the first one to show up and shame you. And that's just horrible. I hate that. 
and I want, I want, if this ever happened, if you've gone through that or you know somebody who has, uh, Hope Choice is a great resource here in Amarillo that you can refer people to for counseling and to help go through the process of grieving for that child and for the restoration and the redemption that God wants to bring into your life uh, in, that, in that area. But anyway, I, I just, you need to understand that Solomon didn't just, you know, build these altars and kind of just sprinkle some stuff. And he was, said that he was sacrificing to these gods. Talking, talking about falling away. Well, how did he fall away so hard and so fast? Well, because of what he, because he, he surrounded, the, the Bible, the scripture told us just earlier that, you know, those women, the, the wives pulled him away um, from God. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, I think, that says that bad companies corrupt good morals. That means that whoever we surround ourselves with, okay, and if we are doing life with them, that they will corrupt us that they will eventually tear us down, um, and we will eventually fall away um, from righteous things. That's why it's so important that we surround ourselves with godly people. So this is all to get to a point. So what happens when, when Solomon dies? Okay. Uh, Rehoboam, his son, uh, receives, you know, he, he inherits the kingdom, but it says that he did even more evil than his father did. And if you keep going, the script says then the next one and the next one, it's like, and then they did more evil than all those before him and more evil than all those before him. And you get to King Asa. He does pretty good for a while, and he's weak at the end. But just, I mean, it's again, I mean, what's the problem? Everybody, you might start strong, but then if if you surround yourself with bad people, then you're eventually going to bring on those traits. Surround yourself with godly people. Dig into that word every single day. And here's here's the important part. So now what happens is the kingdom gets split in two. God told Solomon he was going to divide his nation. Just because of who David was, he lets, uh, he, he lets Solomon's descendants keep a piece of it. So Rehoboam inherits Solomon's kingdom. And it's divided, okay, almost right off the bat. There is Ahijah, he was a prophet, took Jeroboam. I know, it gets confusing. Rehoboam, Jeroboam. Takes Jeroboam outside of Jerusalem, and he takes a new garment, and he tears it apart into 12 pieces. And he says, pick 10 of those for yourself, and two are going to remain in the hands of Rehoboam. So God divides the nation, and so Jeroboam, he turns around, and the very first thing he does is, is he begins to he's set up in, in uh, Dan and Bethel these high places so that people wouldn't go back to worship at the temple. He, they didn't, he, he was afraid people would migrate back, right? And so not only that, he started creating all these false feasts, and in the high places that should have been torn down, you know, I mean, they should have never been created, um, but yet, when even Asa, you know, later becomes king, he did all these things, but he didn't tear down the high places. Huge mistake. So <clears throat> Dan and Bethel are, are where they are worshiping uh, these false gods. And, and he's also creating feasts that don't coincide with Scripture. Um, and, and so, I mean, God sends somebody to tear this boy down, okay? And that's really where the whole thing comes into tonight about changing our country. If, we want to ch- if you want to change your community, if you want to change the country, then you're going to have to go through what I call the obedience test. And 1 Kings 13 uh, is just that. So here's the interesting thing. If we look at this image here, that's an actual picture taken. So in 19, I think, 44 or so, um, this is Bethel, and this is the ancient area where the holy sites uh, would have been. Now, I'm going to tell you the story tonight it, it, instead of reading the entire chapter. But essentially what happens um, is Jeroboam is, is worshiping and sacrificing to false gods right there at that location that I just showed you. And there's a young prophet that comes in uh, from Judah. 
And he comes in and he begins to prophesy to uh, to, to Jeroboam, telling him, hey, listen, everything that you have done today, something's going to happen. The altar will split, the ashes will fall out. And, and, uh, and he is calling out Jeroboam for all of his sin and how he has turned from God. And so Jeroboam, the king, he, he points out his hand. He says, arrest him. And as he does that, his hand, you know, begins to, is diseased, okay? And so he freaks out, and he goes, he asks the young prophet to please, please entreat the Lord. And so the young prophet, he comes and he entreats the Lord. He goes before the Lord, and he says, all right, Lord, would you, you know, restore his hand? And his hand is restored. Jeroboam says, oh, I'm going to come, come, come with me. I'm going to give you a reward, and, and uh, so the young pro- the young prophet, and it never gives his name. It just says the young prophet. The young prophet says that the Lord has told me that I'm to come, you know, from, I, I'm to to leave a different way than where I came from, and I'm not to eat or break bread or to drink water, and and I am to to move on through this land, and so he does, and so there was an old prophet in this same area, in the same area of Bethel. And his sons had been there and had seen this, went back and told the old prophet. And they said, hey, and the old prophet said, well, do you know which way he went? They said, he do. He said, well, get my donkey. So he goes, and he finds the, the prophet, the young prophet, the old prophet, finds the young prophet sitting beneath an oak tree. And he says, hey, you know, why don't you come back and, and eat with me? And so the young prophet repeats that I'm not supposed to, you know, I'm supposed to leave a different way than I came, can't stay can't drink, can't eat, break bread with others. And then the old prophet says, I too am a prophet of the Lord. And he says, an angel of the Lord appeared to me and told me to tell you to come eat with me. And it even says in the scripture, and he was lying. I mean, it was a flat out lie. Now, this is a critical juncture, okay? Because the, the young prophet, if you know that you have heard the Lord and you have somebody who even calls himself a prophet and may even have heard of this man, who knows? I don't know. If he'd heard of him or not, didn't say. But this is a person who was probably well-respected in the, in the community. And yet he still said, he, and so he, what did he do? The young prophet went with the old prophet, sat down and ate. God uses the old prophet to prophesy the death that's coming over the young prophet. And you can tell, you know, that, I mean, both of them. I mean, it's destroyed two lives right here. Um, you can go on and finish it. But my point of this whole thing is that we live in incredibly broken times. And if we, we all have been given, um, you know, paths for God, you can, you, we know that the Lord has told us to do something. Me in particular, I had a, you know, about four years ago, I had a path that the Lord laid two paths before me. Somebody actually came and reached out to me um, and said, hey, I'd like to take you to lunch. Uh, the Lord told me to share something. You had no clue what was going on. Had this scripture in mind, okay? And in the story, I would have been the young prophet. And basically what this would have happened, I had two choices, okay? It was very clear. One path would lead to God's blessing. The other path would lead to death and destruction. Now, maybe not totally my physical death, but it would definitely have been a bad choice for me to make for me and my family, and it was not God's plan. I knew what God wanted me to do, and I didn't really want to do it, to be honest, okay? If I'm just being honest. It would have been a lot more fun to go down this other path, it would seem. But God said, nope, you stick your guns and you go this way. And I was thankful for that man listening to the Lord and coming and speaking to me. So here's my question for you. Um, what, what was the test? What was the test? God told this young prophet what to do. He knew that he heard God. You have to understand, this wasn't his first trial, his first test. God didn't throw him into the deep end to go and to confront a king, right, before he had first put him through a series of other tests that he had been obedient to. 
So he knew how to hear the voice of God. That's un, that, and not only that, think about the, the authority that he walked with whenever he entreated the Lord for the, you know, the king's hand, for Jeroboam's hand. He knew God. He knew God's voice. And yet he still was allowed, he allowed himself to be strayed. And so what happened in the story was that he left um, and on a donkey and, you know, a, a lion came and killed him. And the lion didn't eat him or the donkey and he was just sitting there. Um, and when the old, uh, the old prophet hears about it, he comes and he finds him and he has him put and buried in his, in, in, you know, in his tomb. And he asked, told his sons, when I die, you bury me next to him, next to his bones. You know, he realized the mistakes. Um, and there's all kinds of, you know, things that we can break down in the story, you know, in regards to like, why did the old prophet lie? You know, he's probably jealous. I mean, there's all, who, who knows? I mean, we could really break all that down. You know, here is my point. What is the significance um, as this relates to our walk with God? We all have uh, a path that God has laid in front of us. Are you going to walk down the path that God has given you? And my, my answer is, I am first, I'm going to sit before the throne. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. And here's the thing that's frustrating. We go out there and we see all this craziness. Look at the world right then. Ahab and Jezebel are just right. I mean, the world that this young prophet's living in, the world that's going on right here. See, there's still people. God is speaking to people. And God is trying to change things through prophets and people who, who hear his voice and asking them to be obedient. And that's what I'm calling on us to do as the church, to be obedient. And when I say this, it can be, I don't, I'm not saying that if you're disobedient, God's going to kill us. Okay. That's what beauty of the New Testament and, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the new covenant. That Christ made for us by dying on that cross, and that's grace versus the, the law. But I'm just telling you that we must be obedient to the voice of the Father. And sometimes it's a series of things, and it's, sometimes it can be even small things that are holding us back from truly encountering God's peace and presence and making a difference in our community. Little things. What are you watching? What are you, you, know, what are you letting in? What is separating you from the fullness of the relationship that God wants to have with you? So I would just ask you, <clears throat> have you passed, is there an obedience test in your past that, that comes up, or are you in the middle of an obedience test? Because that's going to be what re it require, is required of the church if we're going to change our communities, if we're going to turn this nation back to God, if we're going to help seek revival, break out in our communities. It begins with us in the small things and being obedient to what God has called us to do. Well, I just wanted to tell you that I appreciate you um, so more than you realize in regards to just checking in and watching this podcast. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, um, I would ask you to share um, with others because we're not uh, really hitting any of those algorithms. But how do we do this? We can do it through grassroots. If this podcast has blessed you, whether it's this one or one in the past uh, in any way, or if the church at Bushland uh, has, has blessed you, just just share um, the, the videos out on YouTube with your friends, with your family. And I want to close this way. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, in Romans 10, 9, it says that if you confess with your tongue and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died and God raised him from the dead, you are saved. Has God been knocking on your heart? Do you know, do you know, do you know that if you die tomorrow or if Jesus raptures his church, that you're going with him right now, that you're going to go to heaven? If you don't know, Wherever you're at, just get on your knees and you can pray this prayer. And it goes like this. Heavenly Father, I know that you sent your only begotten son to die on a cross for me. And right now, I ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. And I receive him into my heart. 
I know now that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. If you've just prayed that prayer for the first time, please just, you can DM me out there. I'll, I'll put a, a post. You can direct message me. Let us know the church. Call us. Let us let us just go through this journey with you. I'm, it's the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life. But thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, just your investment of watching this podcast. And I tell you what, I cannot wait to see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast from the Church of Bushland. We hope you will stay connected by following the ministry on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram by using the Church of Bushland. We are all about people because God is all about people. We exist to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference.